Can you say, oh, say, oh, say this crooked soul? I, uh, I'm drinking a tall Shinerbach right now. Mmm, delicious. Mm. Love, love that Shiner. Love, it. love that Shiner. So, Where Ike, we Ike, we yeah. finally get you on the show. So excited. Yeah. It's like a year in the making. I love it. It's yeah. good to be here. So, what are you doing right now? I am in my hotel room, and uh, I am uh, getting ready to. Well, I'm in Virginia. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. I'm playing a uh, a couple a plan a concert tomorrow in in Richmond. So, I'm just in my hotel room, just kind of chilling. You know, the Matrix is on in the background. <laughs> um, just to remind myself that all is lost. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is how I live my life. You know. <laughs> Does the does the traveling life get to you? Uh, you know, not not really. Uh, and maybe it's just I'm I'm a weirdo. Um, but I really love traveling. I get really restless when I have to stay in one place for a certain amount of time. So I I do I actually really love the traveling. But I will say, um, you know, I can be out for a long time. But eventually, I'm going to need some sort. I need an, I need a I need to go back home. Now, home is a very liberal term because I don't actually really know what that means. I currently live in Nashville, technically, but I'm hardly ever there. And I'm kind of like I bounce in between a lot of places. And so I I don't know. Like, uh, But it doesn't really get to me. I I actually really enjoy it. I love being on the road at the same time. Every once in a while, it is nice to get back to a bed that I bought and sleep in it. This is the bed I've rented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things I've been binge watching, I haven't, I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, so what are you watching on TV? It was Luke and uh, whoever we were interviewing. And uh, and we were going back and forth and I was like, you know, I haven't been watching a lot of TV shows, but I've been watching so much YouTube. And they're like, what are you watching? And I'm like, I have been watching, and this is a very specific thing, van living. <laughs> All these different things of people who take Sprinter full-size vans or Ford transit vans and turning yeah. them into just mobile apartments. Like, where do they yeah. put the, the toilet, the shower, the bed? Oh, I watch. I just made my wife watch one tonight, and she's like, why are you making me do this? Because <laughs> I secretly want to run away from our life. <laughs> I don't think she found that as funny as you did. I think it's hilarious, but I also found it hilarious that you would say that to your wife because I can imagine she probably wouldn't think it's hilarious. Yeah. Not because I know her all that well, only because I know that most wives are not into like their husbands wanting to run away from their lives. But I don't know, man. You've never know. met Shannon. She can't wait till I run away. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's fun. I like doing the traveling stuff. I always pretend like it's a lot worse than it is just to make my wife feel better. You know, like, <laughs> like I get home and she's like, wow, the kids have been terrible. How was your trip? And I'm like, oh, the airplane was gross <laughs> smelling as I sat in a seat flying through the sky at hundreds of miles an hour looking out over these fruited plains. Like, I don't, you know, I never know what to say. I always feel bad because, like, I go to a hotel. I sleep on a queen-size bed made out of literal clouds, 
Yeah. And 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 she gets woken up all night long by four children who alternatively urinate in their beds from across the room. <laughs> so like it just it's not the same. I do. I I I have guilt in my heart because of all of that. So yeah. I get and I I tend to overemphasize the bad parts like oh Shannon. Oh, you wouldn't believe the peanuts. They were gross. <laughs> And I have nobody to be beholden to. Like, I'm just, I don't have to, like, pretend like things are, you know, like, <laughs> rough. I'm like, oh, I got an upgrade today. <laughs> First class, four hours. Dumb. <laughs> they gave me breakfast. It was an omelet. Terrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I just boast about it. It's like, <laughs> no, life is, life, is, life is real good today. Even though being in an airport is not the best thing. But when you like waltz on over to the Admirals Club and like sit in a comfy chair and quietness, and then you uh, get on a plane after being upgraded because you fly so dang much, and it's like I, I mean I don't I just I'm gonna have to adopt that whole martyrdom thing when I eventually get married and yeah. be like oh man it was just it was real it was really bad I don't know I don't know yeah. and just try off. <laughs> you just what's that over there and you need to run away <laughs> run away squeeze that squirrel yeah yeah do you do you, i don't know like do you have some i always love a lot of people who travel as much as you do and like jackie francois and emily wilson and and a lot of the speakers you know since i'm a speaker and i'm not a musician uh, they always have people always have these hilarious travel stories or terrifying travel stories that are now in retrospect funny do you have any yeah. like crazy crazy sean forest level absurdities that have happened to you i feel like sean has some intense stories most of my i mean if i you know what it is is i'm a glass half and uh, full kind of guy so i know that there's some terrible things like today was like a kind of a rocky flight into charlotte and uh at one point it, you know, like I fly a lot. At one point landing today, I was like, are we crashing or are we landing? I don't know if it's like <laughs> kind of both. It was like one of the rockiest. I mean, we're like 30 feet up and we're still, I mean, we're like just dancing all over this thing. It's like, I think this dude's about to take off and like go to another airport. Like, I don't know what's happening. We landed and it's, you know, like when you land, everything's, once everything's okay, I forget that things were bad. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't know. So I always tend to remember, like, and I've, I have like a lot of like celebrity stories, like more than I probably should, and they're just they're always fun because you know you meet like you see like a celebrity, someone that you see all the time on like the big screen or the small screen, and then all of a sudden they're in your face. And for some people, you either have a reaction where like oh, I can't say anything, I can't I gotta, I gotta just look, maybe take a weird stocky picture yeah or a guy like me who's like nah i'm gonna go up to that dude and i'm gonna tell him that i really love them and i think they're great and maybe take a picture and maybe kiss their cheek i don't know whatever have a story about it so th that's most of my travel stuff like i you know i ran into reba that was really cool um it was really short she didn't make eye contact with me but it was you know whatever she was Were you like she, reba yeah reba! I, I, <laughs> I wanted to. She clearly was not having the attention for that day. So we were both in first class. I just kind of like, I saw her. She's got red hair and she's Reba. So you're just kind of like, Reba. And you're, and then you just, you don't know what to do because you can, I, I'm, a, I feel like I'm very good at reading people. And she was clearly not having life at that moment. So I just wanted to say, I think you're amazing. I think I love you. You're so great. But 
in the end, I just kind of like give a little like weird wave. So that was one. Did you say, did you yell at her and go, I loved your sitcom that was on for two seasons? (laughs) Remember when Reba had a television show? I do remember that. It was, I mean, it's weird. I'm, I'm a generally positive person when it comes to people who I feel influence like culture and Reba's, you know, she's kind of a big deal. She's been around for a long time and like huge in the country world. So I'm always like, I always err on the side of you've done some great things and I'm all about that. And I want to tell you how I'm all about that. And the thing is someone like Reba probably hears that all the time. So she's not, she's not about to hear some other random dude saying, Hey, I think you're really awesome. And your show, I didn't really watch it that much, but still, (laughs) I think you're cool. You know, like I, you know, you, you pick your, you pick your battles, I guess. And you know, like that's Reba ran into Tara Reed. That was, uh, She was in the middle of filming a sex tape. It was awkward. Yeah, really awkward. It's real awkward. <laughs> excuse me, ma'am. I would just like to use the bathroom. <laughs> this is like, first class, is, not this, no class. This is the Admiral's Club. We have class here, lady. Actually, it was, it was actually funny because she was just trying to have a sandwich. And one of the, some dude who worked at the Admiral's Club. You oh, no. Buy into oh, these, no. If you don't know these airline clubs, you buy membership so you can go into these nice quiet soft lit places where they serve you drinks and food and you can sit and be cool and and airport cnn is not blaring exactly exactly and so she's sitting there having a sandwich and a dude who works at the admiral's club is like he's like just you know he's like are you a singer are you this he's like wait and she's like i'm tara he's like tara reed you know Stifler, don't you? Like, straight up. Oh, like, that's the worst. No. And I felt so, as much as, like, I'd already noticed her earlier. I was, like, had made the conscious decision that she was not on my list of people. I'm like, I think you're amazing. So I wasn't going to bother her. <laughs> at the same time, she was being bothered by this guy. And I'm like, ah, I just feel bad for her. So I, 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 I wanted, I feel bad for not interrupting. Say, like, hey, man, she's just trying to eat a sandwich. She clearly needs the sandwich. Like, just chill. But I was like. I, I, I tweeted it because I'm a millennial. So I tweeted yeah. <laughs> like Tara Reed at the Admiral's Club getting harassed by, you know, whatever. And she ended up following me on, on Twitter. That is, I mean, just so you know, guys, Tara Reed follows me on Twitter. Wow. No, no bigs because I pseudo, pseudo defended her on Twitter and not in real life. And I was just going to say, <laughs> and not in real life. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. So I have, I have like, seriously, like, I, I mean, like the list is, it's not super long, but Henry Winkler, that's right, the Fonz. What? Uh, I know. That was a quick one. I got off the plane. He was waiting to get on the plane that I just got off. I saw him. I'm like, whoa, Henry Winkler. I'm like, I love you, man. He's like, oh, thanks, dude. And then I, I was I was late for something, and he, I and I, but I yelled it out. And then I'm sure he was actually standing by himself. And so I'm sure I drew all sorts of attention to him after that. But I hear, I hear what celebrities want more than anything else. It's for you just to walk up to them, as long as they're not eating or in the middle of a conversation. You walk up to them and you say, I really like your stuff. Thank you for what you do. You shake their hand and you walk away. Yeah. Right? I, that, that, is my, that is my general. Okay, I'm, can I tell you? This is, the, this is probably one of the best celebrity stories, right? So I'm leaving. Uh, I did a youth conference in Toronto. And me and my electric guitar player were flying back to Nashville, and we're uh, we're flying, we're uh, checking in, 
he I'm checking in. He's in, he's still waiting to check in. He's behind me in line. He's like a few paces away from me. And I look back as I, as the lady is checking my ID and I look back and he's talking to some girl with a hat on. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. He randomly found a girl that he knows in, in Toronto, whatever. So I, you know, go to go back to checking in and, and then I go to, uh, I get done checking in. I go up to meet up with him and she, this girl walks past me I didn't really look at her. And, um, I, I go up to him. His name is John. I'm like, dude, did you, do you know that girl? And he gives me this weird look. He's like, and I'm like, well, that's rude. And he, I just kind of dismissed it. And he went and got checked out, and I was waiting for him. So uh, he gets checked out. He comes, he comes up to me, and I'm like, well, who was that girl? He's like, dude, that that was Rachel McAdams. I'm like, blah. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> oh no. So uh, and because the, they were they were like talking like chummy, like they were like homies. I'm like, dude, I had no. He's like, yeah, she was really cool. I'm like, well, I'm just a big old dummy. That stinks. I really like Rachel McAdams. I mean, have you seen Mean Girls? So I, I, we were like going through security and whatever. We go to our gate. We're just sitting there. I like how you went to Mean Girls instead of like The Notebook or even, even, uh, what she was just in, uh, the Marvel movie, um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. But have you seen Mean Girls though? Yeah. And just going to say, I've only seen Mean Girls once (laughs) and I loved it. It's so good. It's so good. It's, it is. I'm, you know what? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yes. All of Catching Foxes. We should go and watch it maybe in the next couple days. <laughs> yes. And everyone listening to this will just watch yes. it and then just just write your comments in the Facebook page. can't go to Taco Bell. I'm on an all-carb diet. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Regina, wait. Talk to me. Nobody understands me. Just exactly because I'm telling you that movie is brilliant and she played it brilliantly and I thought it was amazing and I, that was when I was like you know I saw that movie and I was like it's this is clearly going to be dumb wrong false that movie false. was great and everyone in it was amazing and I thought she was especially awesome. Yeah. It's called the South Beach Fat Flush and all you drink is cranberry juice for 72 hours. This isn't even cranberry juice. It's cranberry juice cocktail. It's all sugar. I want to lose three pounds. You're crazy. And then, and not only that, coming from that movie and to all the other movies he's done, I'm like, she's great and she's versatile. And I always thought that. And I don't, you know, like I'm, you know, this is just a random thought about some random actress I'll never meet. Well, here she is in the airport. We're sitting at our gate. I'd already missed my chance to at least say hi. Sitting at our gate and we get the notice that our gate had moved to, to, you know, down the way. So we're about to move. And I look at John. I'm like, dude, she's over there. Rachel's right. She's over there. And he's like, oh, okay, play it cool. I'm like, okay, don't don't be weird, don't be weird. She's by herself, hat on, sweats. No one notices who she is. I don't want to like bother her, but she's like by herself, not even on her phone really, just kind of sitting there. So waiting to be bothered. <laughs> waiting to be bothered. But she's got her head, she's got her head down. Like seriously, nobody knows it's her. Nobody knows it's her. And you know, she's like flipping through her phone, maybe, but you know, whatever. She's just kind of sitting there. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I'll do. Real covertly, I'll just go sit down. We'll just go sit down and say, hey, you know, do the whole thing. So I went up to her and I'm like, hey, I don't want to bother you. You don't want to draw attention, but I just want to say I'm a big fan of your work. And she was really cool. She's like, thank you. And then she she talked to John earlier. And so we talked for like 10, almost 15 minutes about, you know, what we were doing in Toronto and the youth conference that we just played. And, you know, and uh, she was super, super nice and super cool. And we didn't make a big deal. We didn't, like, take a picture or start yelling, oh, my gosh, I loved you in the notebook. You know, like, <laughs> just we were cool. And then we walked away. And that was 
a, that was like one of my favorite celebrity experiences. And to this day, I'm a diehard Rachel McAdams fan because you know what? Damn it, she's a nice human being, and you need to support her movies. That's that's how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Go out and see whatever <laughs> Rachel McAdams puts out. <laughs> You know what everyone says about you? They say that you're a homeschooled jungle freak who's a less hot version of me. Yeah. So don't try to act so innocent. You can take that fake apology and shove it right up your hairy Mean Girls. <laughs> like Mean Girls. Yeah. Can we do Mean Girls too? I know Lindsay Lohan's a little rough around the edges, but... But that means she needs the money. She needs the money. <laughs> she needs... Let's rally around her and get her the money and get Tina Fey to write another bomb script she was so sweet in that movie that's what broke my heart about real Lindsay. i know i know and i don't clearly she's she's clearly a great actress right because she did a good job in that movie and you just think this this girl's going places she's got a bright future she just did this amazing movie and she's done some great you know like it's gonna be great and then all of a sudden like it's just crazy to see and i we as a society are so we love the good stories, but we also love to see people fall. And so, it. like, the fall, we just love it. We just relish it. It's like, look at her go. Just a blaze of glory. And we just watched Lindsay Lohan just burn badly. And it sucks because she's a super talented person. And, you well, know. Think about the Disney machine mm-hmm. and how many of the young women were vaguely. Now, I never watch any of those shows, you know, like Miley Cyrus and all that stuff. Or what is it called? Not Miley. Uh, Hannah Montana. Hannah I, never, Montana. I never watched any of those shows. I never watched Disney's Clubhouse or Mickey's, whatever it's called. But there has to be something going on. When these women get churned out, Sure, they become, they're, they're just, they supernova in terms of their star status. Right. And then they collapse and turn into a, I don't know, a red dwarf. Like, <laughs> trying to push the star analogy as far as I can. Good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then they have a huge gravitational pull. <laughs> they have an event horizon. It's really crazy. <laughs> they're, they're doing meth. That, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, they, I mean, Britney here, Spears, like, went nuts and shaved her head. And I don't know what Christina Aguilera did, but I'm sure it was crazy. She just. Yeah, it's it's nuts too because and also the Disney machine. Can we talk about how like I I didn't even know the cast from like what was it? it was like Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Britney Spears, I think Pink, Christina They were all in the Mickey Mouse Club together. Oh, like, I didn't know that. Okay. You didn't know that? Dude, no. they were they were all in this one show, this Mickey Mouse Club show together and they are all mega. I'm, listen, I'm a massive Justin Timberlake fan. I don't care what anybody else says. Oh, I, Justin Timberlake's uh, awesome. He is amazing. I love Justin Timberlake. But like that whole cast, like Ryan Gosling, hunka hunka, and he's and he's like they came from this like Mickey Mouse club thing. And Disney's just I don't Disney. What do you th- do? You have any conspiracy? I don't want to get into this. But <laughs> Disney, they freak me out. They freak me out. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. They freak me out a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. But they had these like. These kids, like, where do they come from? And they all became, like, mega stars. Mega stars. Some of them still, I mean, even Britney Spears shaved her head, got crazy. But that girl, she's still doing it. She's still she bounced doing it. She bounced she back. Bounced back. She bounced back. She bounced back real, real, real big. Justin yeah. Timberlake, I mean, the dude, his meteor started rising, and it just hasn't stopped. And it's like, can is this ever going to come down? Or are you just going to keep, how much bigger can you get? 
Beyonce big. Nobody can be that big. <laughs> <laughs> Beyonce big, or as she as it used to be known as Shirley Temple big. <laughs> Am yeah. I right? Am I right? You you are right. I mean, Jay-Z and Beyonce are basically the kings and queens of America. If we ever went back to a monarchy, which we never were a monarchy, but if we ever wanted to be, I'm just going to go ahead and nominate Beyonce and Jay-Z as our king and queen. Not that you nominate kings and queens, but. <laughs> well, you do on uh, the the planet where Queen Amidala is. So I'm Naboo. <laughs> That's true. Naboo. That's the Naboo. Naboo. Nice. Nice. I'm elected an absolute monarch. <laughs> Like makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a Senate, but whatever. Just don't even talk about it. Oh man, man, now my blood's <laughs> boiling. <laughs> but I'm kind of upset. I have never met a celebrity on an airplane. I meet. Okay, so uh, here's the deal. I talk for a living, right? This is what I do. I True. love the sound of my own voice. I <laughs> sometimes I listen to my own talks, and I'm like, whoa, that was a good point. And I write it down in like a journal. And I draw pictures of myself. No, I'm <laughs> riding a horse. Uh, but the thing is this. When I have spent an entire weekend doing nothing but, A, feeling woefully insecure, comparing myself to every other speaker on, like, a Steubenville conference, and then desperately trying to impress them the entire weekend and earn my right at the table. Absolutely. And then, two, I mean, so, so like, when your band is there, right, you're, you're there, all I want to do is make everyone in your band like me. <laughs> Because everyone knows that the speakers are the nerds, and the band is the, they're the cool kids. And so I'm like, if I can get people in the band to like me. So my whole goal when me and you did uh, Steubenville, Florida, was to get your drummer to think I'm funny. He, and I did. I was able to do it. He thought I was funny. But literally, I spent all weekend like, what can I do? What can I say? Like you stress that I stress out. Then you got to worry about giving your talks because if you bomb, maybe they won't ask you back next year. This is a significant, significant source of my family's income, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so you have all these pressures that you want to speak. Everything needs to come out perfectly. And then you get on a plane, and you know I have this Catholic evangelist thing inside me that says engage the person next to you <laughs> and all i do is say to that little voice nope daddy's putting his earbuds and he's gonna start <laughs> snoring and that's how that's how i fly most of the time but when i get in these seats i'm always when there's an opportunity for me to speak to them i'm always next to crazy people really? i have never had a normal person it's like so what do you do for a living and then i say Oh, uh, I travel around the country and give talks. That's my safe way of saying it. And they go, oh, sure. that sounds cool. What do you talk about? And then I say, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I talk to mostly high school, college, young adult people, adult, how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And then they like, and most people are like, oh, okay. I'm like, what, 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 what do you do? Can we talk about you? Can we talk about what you do? Because I'm scared of what you're thinking right now. And uh, see, it's hard to be an evangelist with a low self-esteem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, they're like, oh, I work for the oil industry. I'm like, oil industry, that's cool. See, you fly to Nashville for your home base. I fly to Houston. When I fly to Houston, if I get bumped up to first class, which happened once from Minnesota at 5 in the morning, Nothing happened from that. No celebrities are flying from Minneapolis to Houston at five in the morning. But I, I the people I'm next to, it's they're all oil guys. It's like, yeah. so 
Uh, do you like stuff? Like, there's nothing to say. But you're like hanging out with Rachel and and Henry. I don't. You live a beautiful life, my friend. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's hilarious too because you're a much better person than I am because I I'm I don't even have that voice anymore and I just <laughs> I just sit and sleep and when it happens and I have an out like I do the same thing. What do you do? I'm a musician. Easy. Oh, but it's not easy because then they want to know more. But then still, I'm like, well, what kind of music do you play? I'm like, you know, it's like, like, kind of like rock, blues, you know, like roots music. Like, oh, cool, right on, right on. And I can literally get through the whole conversation without ever actually saying that I play music for people to love Jesus to. I don't. I... Now, do you like talking to people on airplanes or you just want to get past the small talk and go to sleep? Honestly, I don't. Okay, I am an introvert, and I know, I know this. These words, introvert, extrovert, people are like now people are like kind of holding them as badges. Like I'm an introvert. Well, you know, whatever. I I really am, is in the sense that after an event, I'm kind of spent, and I don't really want to talk to anyone. I just kind of want to sit, and I'll be content with just staring. But I usually have headphones in, and I'm listening to something, not even music. Sometimes just like a book. Just like, but, just like my voice. Go on. Yeah, I'm just Go listening. On. I'm just listening to Goat the whole time. Just like this is so relaxing. I just got done leaving him, but <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> thank God they already published his talks. <laughs> I can't get enough of. You. I can't just can't get enough of you. And uh, but uh, you know, like I, I want to. I, I kind of just want to check out and not have any responsibilities. But I will say this: in the times that I have like just a little bit of an open heart. I've had some great conversations with great people and they're not always like, you know, like, you know, I've heard some intense, you know, stories of like, and, you know, evangelists, like I prayed over someone in, you know, in the air, airplane and they, you know, got the Holy spirit and started praying. So I don't know. Like I, I've heard like the crazy yeah. story I'm talking about, like just real cool life things where I'm just get to connect. I mean, the, the most recent thing I can think of this, this woman, um, I can't remember where I was. I can't remember where I was going, but um, this I was got upgraded. I was sitting in first class, and this you know this woman sits next to me, and you know she we just kind of started talking, and it was kind of around. Um, this was this was um, this was uh, I think this was before election day. So, um, but we were just kind of talking, and um, and uh, she I don't know how it happened, but she just kind of expressed concern for where our country was going, you know, in, in that general sense. And I, and I kind of like, you know, like just kind of tensed up a little bit, but I was, but we had ended up having this great conversation. She, she's a woman, she's from Haiti, born and raised in Haiti, but lives in Dallas. And she's just starting this, um, she's starting this, um, uh, I don't know, it's a, like a charity thing for, for her country. Like basically just trying to start, you know, um, programs to help the people of Haiti. And we had this amazing conversation about you know like about what she's and it turns out she's catholic and i told her i'm catholic she's like you're catholic i'm like yeah i'm catholic it was crazy and we both like you know just talked about love in other people you know which was you know was something that we felt that was needed to you know needed to happen more in our country and especially among catholics and um and it was it was amazing and i was I got on that plane just thinking, I'm going to put my headphones in, I'm going to zone out, maybe watch a movie, maybe sleep. And I ended up having a very delightful conversation with a very amazing woman, and it was great. And I don't regret that at all. 
And I get off the, a flight like that. I'm like, okay, that was good. And I, I need to be more open to those things. And then I get on the next flight and I'm just tired. I, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's like a fine line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's two stories that I like to tell now because the other one happened about a month ago. Uh, my original story that I always tell is one day I'm sitting on the plane. Do you know Father Paul Koska? No. Father Paul. I don't think so. You've probably done some stuff with him. Maybe, but... maybe I have, and he's yeah. probably offended that I said no. Don't worry. He's not a listener, Father okay. Paul, are you? <laughs> um, now, he's one of my good friends. I converted him, me and the Holy Spirit. Now he's a priest. Whatever. It's no big deal. Nice. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's no big deal. Started a religious order, whatever. It's no big deal. But uh, he, <laughs> he uh, so one day when he was uh, just a brother, he's sitting next to, he's on the window. I'm in the middle, of course, because I'm the fat guy. <laughs> and and there's a woman sitting next to me, and I'm sure you do this. Every human being has to do this. But when you sit down, and you're, especially if you're a book lover, right? You sit down and you glance over what other people are reading, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one woman was reading something along the lines of the clandestine prophecies or something like that. Uh, Some, like, new age, prophetic, whatever. Sure. And uh, I made a note of it in my head, and I started to get my gears spinning. And I remember I distinctly stopped and prayed. And I said, Lord, you know I'm terrible at conversation in general, but bringing stuff up like this. You know I'm going to fail. So will you make a way that I can speak your gospel into her life in a, in a good way. Cause I've alienated people. I've been a jerk on accident. Like sure. One girl told me she likes Buddha and I said, yeah, but Buddha can't save your soul. And then she stopped talking to me and she was the hot <laughs> chick in ninth grade. And I was sitting in front of her and it was awkward. <laughs> and now you know where my insecurities come from. The first time I ever evangelized someone, I alienated them and she was the prettiest girl in the whole school. <laughs> so uh so i said so i really like i was earnestly praying like lord please like if you want me to say something give me the words and man i had such a heavy sleep fall over me my head went my my chin went down into like my chest and i was out i woke up about an hour and a half into the flight father paul is leaning over me she's leaning over me and they are having the biggest conversation about jesus and all this stuff and I look at him, and I look at her, and I go, all right, God, thy will be done. And I just went right back to sleep. It was awesome. It was awesome. He, like, kept That's up awesome. with her and all this stuff. She was That's raised awesome. Catholic. Yeah. The other time was uh, actually about a month ago. I'm flying back from this event in Florida uh, at a wonderful cho- church in Sarasota, Florida. Yeah, buddy. And um, two, two amazing and dedicated fans from there, Tom and Allison. And uh, they, I, always, I always feel bad because I make fun of Florida all the time on this show. All the time. Uh, I call it America's Nickelback. And I, I will not comment. Okay, good. Don't because she, I got yelled at by Allison for always making fun of Florida. So, um, uh, so I'm flying back, right, from Sarasota, Florida. And I'm in the very back of the plane, you know, seat next to the bathrooms. I don't get upgraded until now. Literally my last flight. Um, and this guy sitting next to me. So I'm like, Lord, you know, he's a young adult. If you want to make a way where I can have a conversation with him, please open it up. And I, all I want to do is sleep. And I look over at him, and, man, that guy falls asleep so fast. And I was like, okay. And I'm listening to this book called The Art of Neighboring, and I'm, like, pouring through all this stuff, and I'm taking huge notes. Halfway through, he sees the way I'm taking notes, and he's like, uh, uh, hey, 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 are you taking notes? And I was like, 
yeah, uh, yeah, I'm listening to an audio book, and I'm just writing down some of the stuff that I really like. And he goes, that's awesome. And I was like, okay. And then every other word, no exaggeration out of his mouth, is a gigantic F-bomb spoken really ah. loudly around families, little kids, you know. Right, and I'm, right. and so I would, like, talk over him to, like, redirect the conversation. It was to no avail. But basically <laughs> the guy suffers from, like, massive ADHD. He yeah. can't focus on anything. And he was just taught a technique by his therapist to take notes, like, like with really big letters and all caps and stuff right. to help him like focus on a paragraph. He has to write down like a sentence per paragraph. And he said that doing that helps him. And he's like, so why are you doing that? And I was like, Oh, uh, well, I, uh, I, I work for the Catholic church. And so I'm really trying to center on helping people, um, connect and love their neighbor. Cause Christ calls us to love our neighbor. And so, uh, this book's called The Art of Neighboring, and I just really want to focus on on, on 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 helping people love their neighbor. And he looked at me and he goes, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay. And then we just had this conversation about his life, and uh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I said to myself as we were leaving, the thing that every evangelist who who ventures out and g- goes nowhere, I sowed a seed that day. I sowed a seed. <laughs> You sowed that seed. You I did. did. I did. Abs- right? Absolutely. You sowed it. And I I don't know if I'm – sometimes I wonder – you know, there's like – I think in the past I definitely worried about every occasion. I'm like, man, I got to I gotta really do it. And I think eventually it's like, you know, I think I think God is a little bit bigger than me, just a little bit. And uh, I don't he, know. You're a big guy. I am a big guy, but I think he's a little bit bigger than me. And the Holy Spirit – got it and so if i'm you know if i need to if I, if it's gonna happen it's, it's gonna happen and i generally i'm generally open you know like I'm, I'm you know like even though it looks like i'm not because my sunglasses are on my headphones are in and um, i'm wearing a scowl on my face it doesn't mean you have to like you know walk away or run away from me i'm just saying if if it's gonna if god needs to make he'll he's gonna make a way and a lot of times he just kind of lets me sleep or watch my movie but sometimes you know, there are moments where I get to, I do, I get to talk about, you know, like, you know, I get to, you know, witness, quote unquote, witness, you know, to, um, I don't know, mostly it's like what God has done in my life. Cause I, I think that's the biggest thing I can, like my biggest testimony is I feel lucky. I feel lucky as in you want to call it luck or being blessed. I just, I feel blessed. I really do. I'm like, I, and it, the things that I get to do in my life are nothing I've manufactured because I'm, you know, who am I? You know, like whatever. I, I'm, I'm not good at anything, but you know, I you know, don't God, say so, that. You're good at many things. <laughs> You're good at many things. <laughs> Thank you. Th- thanks for saying it. It's good to hear, even though it's an absolute lie. Just jokes. But you know, like I, it's <laughs> that, that. That's the thing I kind of hold on to is, <clears throat> you know, like my. Um, the witnesses, like what he's, you know, what God's done. And, um, that's probably the biggest, I don't know. That's just for me, I, for me personally, that's always like my biggest thing is, you know, I, I'm happy to share like what has been done in my life. Cause I, I am really, really grateful. And talking about it actually helps to remind me that, Oh, I don't, I, I didn't actually do much, you know, like I just, it's kind of, sometimes I feel like I'm along for the ride. It's a good ride. I just imagine God being like, Ike, 
I talked to this woman about NFP. <laughs> and you're like, but Heavenly Father, I am unmarried. I have never even seen a picture dictionary of vaginal mucus. I talked to her about NFP. You've heard that Janet Smith talk. You know. You've read a Jason Everett book. In fact, he played in the house band while Jason Everett talked to high school students with that one talk he does for the last 10 years. I share about NFP. When you put it that way, I'm way more knowledgeable than I think. <laughs> it's like I have a hard, fast rule because I'll get this every once in a while. It's like you want Ike to come out and do a talk. And it's like for like my booking and man, I'm like, absolutely not. It's just not going to happen. And I am kind of a hypocrite because I just got um, – I'm going to, to uh, New Zealand in October, and I'm going out to do a talk. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but they're paying for my flight, though, and it's New Zealand, though. It's New so Zealand. So I'm going to go and do a talk, whatever. I'll just rip off Gomer or any or whatever. You no, know, like no I, not any. Not any. <laughs> Sorry, man. He's the best example I got. Like, he's my homie, and he – he does it better than I do. So I'm like, I just steal his stuff. I'm like, the people are like, that was great. I'm like, cool. <laughs> cool. Pay me. <laughs> I stole those words. <laughs> I have never heard you give a talk. I know. You probably never will. One, because if you're someplace where I'm at, you're probably going to give a talk, and I'm just going to sing Jesus songs. What I'm, if we switched? What if we switched? I'm cool with it. No, I'm not cool with this. I lied. <laughs> I'm not cool with that. I just, I just not, it's just not my, it's not my thing. And I, you know, I was a youth minister for a few years. I um, forgot you were a youth minister. I was, I was. Sometimes I want to forget that I was. Not where, because, where, where were you? I was, uh, so I first became a youth minister at this small church in, in South Scottsdale called St. Daniel's. St. Daniel the Prophet. Okay, I got to ask you a quick question. Everyone that's from Scottsdale, I ask a question. And you might be, since you have a music background, the only one that can answer with a positive answer. Okay. Have you ever heard of a group of white kids who were in maybe middle school at the latest who were rappers called the Scottsdale Brats? No. Damn it. (laughs) Never. Ah. Never. All right. I'm not actually from Scottsdale. I just... I had a I had a youth minister job there once, but I know I'll never claim Scottsdale. Mm. Sorry to my Scottsdale friends, but that ain't me. But so, sorry, Scottsdale, you're the new Florida. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so I was a youth minister in this you know smallish parish, uh, and they were um, they were just kind of dying, you know, like. You'd go to mass and you'd hear like the hiss of oxygen tanks and the the prayers of the faithful were extra long because a lot of people had died in the past week um, or had fallen ill. That's just kind of the community that it was. So they were literally dying. I thought they you were, meant figuratively. No, no, they were literally dying. They were literally dying. Figuratively, yes, but they were also literally dying. People were actually dying. And – you know, that was, you know, mass was, you know, whatever. It was just like kind of like a sad affair sometimes. And uh, I had a small but growing youth ministry. And we had this this center and we tried to do stuff on Sundays, you know, in the big community center, but uh, in the activity center. But they had they had a bingo. I knew you were going to say bingo. I knew it. Twice a week. Bingo was what kept this church afloat. Wednesdays and Sundays, they had bingo. 
And me and my core members just hated the hell out of Bingo. We just so pissed because, like, you're keeping us back from bringing the kids to this church and evangelize, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and, you know, sometimes old people need to have a little fun and play some bingo. So, but this is the church I was at for a couple years. And I was like, I think I'm supposed to keep doing youth ministry, even though I was kind of getting burnt. And then um, I got the call from uh, this guy named Phil Banowitz. And he was like, hey, I want you to come and and uh, and maybe be a youth minister, one of the youth ministers at St. Timothy's in Mesa. Which, you know, if you is where the uh, the uh, international youth program Life Teen started, and I was I was pretty tickled because that was like bigger budget, way more kids, and you know maybe I'll like speak on some stages. Maybe I don't know. Like that was like my I was like, all right, sweet, I'm gonna do this, and I went. And I was at St. Tim's for um, for a little bit. And uh, I'll say it about my youth ministry career. I was a terrible youth minister. Terrible. I was really good at, like, hanging out and, like, getting the kids to, like, laugh. But when it came to, like, actual discipleship, I was real terrible. And I to this day, I'll see, like, a, someone will come up to me. He's like, Ike, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And I'm, like, looking at them. Like, yeah, it's good to see you. Good to see you. And then it was completely a former teen of mine that I had no, I don't remember anything because I'm ter- I was terrible. I was not meant <laughs> to do youth ministry, but in that during that time is when music kind of came, you know, rearing its 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 head, and um, I got encouraged by some really good friends to keep you know to pursue it. But youth ministry was it was it was good. I'm glad, and I to all you youth ministers out there, I my hats off to you, but never never again. <laughs> Yeah, no. But I was bad at it. I was bad at it. I love youth ministry and I hate it. Yeah, youth ministry is so fascinating because number one, it, it's almost pure evangelization. Absolutely, very few kids there, even if they like like being Catholic, really care about <laughs> doctrine and you know, like <laughs> having God in their lives. Like even the good kids. I mean, they. I mean, obviously, there are great kids who are who are inspirations of holiness to me and all that stuff. But I feel like, right. I feel like every kid is just like. Th- there's like two different types of kids: the party kids and the kids who are just afraid to get caught partying, so they don't. <laughs> and then they go to like UT for college, and then everyone's like, "Yeah, we all just here, just take this red solo cup and drink whatever I put in it." <laughs> and so those kids, like, I see them. You know, I'm like, they're on Facebook, and like, look, they're at mass. Look, they're at mass. They got a red solo cup in their hand. Oh, now they're an atheist. <laughs> Dang it! So Almost close. Had Almost had them. They were this close to being a priest. This <laughs> close. <laughs> UT. I knew they should have gone to A and M. Now you have a really musical family. I'm guessing, right? Well, <clears throat> funny thing is, is your brothers used to be in a small no-name band. Small. He used to play. Which is this is funny. He used to play for this small, little-known Catholic artist named Matt Marr. Played bass for him, and it's funny because you'll go out. I mean, Catholics. Matt Marr is like the second most popular Catholic in America. Uh, it's like the Pope, and then and then Matt. And, uh, I think you're underestimating the power of Scott Honda jamming. <laughs> Old old Scott, also known as the Scottsdale Brat, he <laughs> he can wail away on an acoustic. He really can. He's good. I I actually don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. But yeah, me musical. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So Scott think, Hahn, Pope Francis, Scott Hahn, Matt Marr. There you go. There you go. I'll put him third. That's fine. There we go. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so my brother, yeah, my brother, it's kind of funny. My brother, um, uh, and I love my, I love my brother to death. And he played, um, he played for Matt for like, oh, I think almost 10 years. And it was funny when he, I moved to um, Arizona from, from Missouri. And then my brother followed me. And uh, he said he wanted to be near me, his brother that he loved so much. But really, he met a girl um, in Arizona, and then he was like, and then he was like, made the excuse like, "Oh, I'm gonna move to Arizona to be close to my brother." But it was really this girl, which is great because he ended up getting married to this girl and having three amazing kids. So, oh, that's nice. But um, he, uh, my brother, moved to Arizona, and he um, he had just picked up the guitar, and he, my brother, who loves me, but also um, and loves to like. He you know, looked up to me, but also like wanted to be his own person. He's like, well, you play guitar, so I'll just play the bass. And so he did. And so he picked up the bass and just started practicing. And I told Matt, like, hey, man, because I knew he was starting to travel more. It's like, my brother's really good. And Matt's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And finally, one day, like in an XLT in Phoenix, my um, uh, the guy that was playing bass for Matt at the time, like saw my brother in the crowd and like motioned him up while like someone like someone was talking about something and Matt was distracted and gave my brother Kimmy the the bass for the last song um of XLT. And so my brother's playing and uh Matt had no idea until like midway through the song he looks over and sees my brother on the bass. And then for and and this story will be disputed because I feel like Matt has a different story, but whatever, I'm right. I remember like from that moment my brother was was in the band and traveled with matt for a long time and so yeah my brother played bass my mom sang in choirs when i was younger um i was but i wouldn't call us like a super musical family like i know families that are musical we're not we wouldn't be considered like the von traps by any means you know like we were you know but music kind of came for me later in life i was 18 when i first picked up guitar and uh i was interning at a, at a church, at a parish under a youth minister. So I was like her, you know, just kind of her intern. And um, I had been playing guitar for all of, at this point, for all of like two months. And I, w- I could, you know, like what I thought I sucked. But um, we had a, 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 a middle school event. And she's like, hey, can you lead worship for the middle schoolers? I'm like, no, I don't, I can't do this. She's like, well, I've seen you play. I'm like, well, yeah, but she's like, do it. So I did. And I, I was very nervous and I had this paper thin guitar pick and I sat down and I was sweating buckets, which hasn't changed. I sweat when I play. That's just how it is. What? I've never noticed that. All the pictures, all the pictures, just me profusely sweating (laughs) has never changed. But, you know, she like has me lead, you know, has me lead and I go and I, um, uh, you know, I get through the night and this seminarian at the time, I think he was a deacon. He comes up, he's a priest now. He comes up to me. He's like, well, that was okay. (laughs) <laughs> he like uh, seriously like was like yeah you were just you know you're this and that i'm like oh okay so like when i first started playing it wasn't like oh my gosh it's not like the heavens opened up and everyone's like ike and dola was meant to do this born to do it i actually got more like criticism than, uh, than anything else so when i picked up the guitar it really wasn't like this instant like yeah man you're great or you know it was just i just did it because i just you know, it was like, I like to play guitar and sing and I started leading worship and, and it just kind of grew from there. And I, and it's been, it's a funny thing because it's what I do for a living now. But back then you, I would laugh at you if you were like, you know, I think one day this is what you're going to do. But, um, 
talk about prophecy. The person who said that to me, Tom Booth, he said that to me one day at a mat after a ma- like during a mass. He's like, I don't know why you're here, but I know it's not to do youth ministry. I think you're supposed to be doing music. I was like, okay, dude. <laughs> but it happened, you know. Like it was like one of those things where. Um, was he wearing I, jeans with very white sneakers? Obviously. Thank you. Obviously. Thank you. Freaking stylish. This is also almost 10 years ago. So, of course, he was wearing jeans with white sneakers <laughs> and a Life Team shirt or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and a hat. And a hat. And a, and a Kango hat backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I – and so it's like one of those things where I'm just – I don't know. Like I uh, – I'm – Back, like I'm grateful. I'm eternally grateful that I get to do what I love for a living. It's also something I never dreamed for myself. But I also thought I was going to be a teacher. So who, you know, who knows? I, I didn't. I wasn't really thinking outside the box. And I really wanted to be a theoretical physicist, but I'm just not smart. You know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to like you know figure out like black holes and stuff. <laughs> but turns out there's a lot of math. <laughs> so much math. So oh. much math. And I just don't math, so yeah. here I am playing strings on a wooden thing <laughs> with a hole in the center. With a what, hole in the center. What's your What's your favorite song that you wrote? Mm. Or maybe not that you wrote that you that you play from like an album that you've done. Um, because I know you do some cover. Well, not really covers, but like I mean, like you have. I don't know. Okay, you tell me what your favorite is that you yeah. have published out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think my probably my favorite song that I've ever written and done was uh, a song called Crooked Soul. And it was off of my last um, uh, full-length record called Rivers. And um, it was one of those songs that just kind of came out in, a little, in, a, in an instant. And I, when I... You ready, you ready I, for it? You ready for it? Ready. Oh, you're fast. No, I'm not fast. This is my favorite song. Oh. I had it queued up. Nice. Go on. No, really? Yeah, it's my favorite song. Here's oh. the deal. Here's the deal. Let me just let me just share my heart with you. You tell me how wrong I am, and then you go on about Crooked Soul and how badass it is. Okay. <laughs> when I listen to Christian music, 99% of it sounds exactly the same. 99%. I mean, there's so you are a musician. You can tell the difference. I am a guy who listens to audiobooks and podcasts. When I listen to music and I'm like, oh, this is a song from Hillsong. It sounds like the last song from Hillsong, you know? (laughs) Hope nothing's, I hope Hillsong's not dead. They haven't released a new album in a week, right? So (laughs) I I understand when when Hillsong Young and Free comes out, I'm like, oh, what is this? This is weird. This isn't worship music, but I'll still play it in the background while I'm trying to write a fake book that'll never get published. It's good stuff. Like, I like that stuff. But Crooked Soul is like, it's like, to me, it's like the blood of an artist spilled out into notes, right? Like, it's a badass song. Whereas, At The Sound from We Are The Beggars, right? At The Sound, that's not a badass song. That's a good song. It's a song I've sung a bunch of times. Yeah. But man, but man, Crooked Soul is gold. Thanks. You know, I, and it's, it's so funny that you say that. Um, I hate at the sound. <laughs> I, let me qualify. <laughs> let me qualify that. I, I, I'm, I'm happy that I wrote it and I, and it's, and it's good. And I still use it. It's fine. I think it, it's appropriate for, for moments, but, yeah. 
um, it wasn't a moment in my life where I was, I, I think I was writing songs that I thought I should write. And, uh, exactly. when I got, yeah. And I That's got to a great rivers. way to put it. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. It, it, it's exactly how it felt, you know? And when I got to rivers, um, my second record, um, I had a great dude that I was working with, a great producer's name. Not that my first producer wasn't great. He was great. I learned a lot. His name is Robbie C and Houston guy, you know, like he's awesome. I actually, I yeah, love is. him. He's at a uh, Clasia, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know if he's there anymore, but anyway, he was my first producer and, um, I wrote, we were the beggars. This is a song on that record that I love. And I think is amazing. And it means something. And it's still, it, it's, it's, it is who I am. So I, not, this is not at all taking away from, from Robbie. This was my mentality because I went into rivers. Um, and I was like, I just, I, I think I, I want to find more of myself. And I had a producer in, in Paul Mayberry who, um, really helped me find that and, and made me real. Like he just, he just emboldened me to like, dude, what do you, who are you? Like, what do you want to say? Like what? Are, and so Crooked Soul was one of those songs. Um, you know, like I, I, uh, I just sat down and when I think about, I don't know, like, and I, I don't want to be over overly critical about Christian music and worship music. Cause it's, it all serves a purpose and it's great. And it's beautiful writing. I know a lot of those people are, are amazing people. And I know for myself, when I sat down, when I sit down to write a song to, by myself, it is hard for me, I think to write about just to, to, you know, start writing really happy songs about like, everything is all right. And I love you, Jesus, because uh, for me personally, I, you know, like, is there room enough for the doubter? Is there room enough for the struggler? Is there room enough for someone who doesn't feel like they deserve grace? And that was Crooked Soul. You know, it was one of those things. And it it, it kind of, it re, it, I wrote it almost like it's semi-autobiographical. Like it's, it, a lot of it has my own life really tied up in it. it actually, most of it does. And it, the funny thing is it's not really hopeful until the end until the end and it's barely hopeful at the end, but it is, it's like this, like, and that's what it is. That's what I always imagine. You know, I heard this, the, the last, um, the last verse is, um, so, you know, so I cry to God on his chapel floor. I'm a seasoned sinner, but can you make me more help me give my coat to the weak and poor so I can wash up naked on your golden shore. Help me give my coat to the Weak and poor, so I can wash up naked on your golden shore. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah. So, like that, that especially that last line, I heard somewhere, you know, something similar. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm gonna march triumphantly through the gates of heaven. Yeah, right. I'm gonna drag my bleeding festering sin-filled carcass and beg 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 for <laughs> grace and just like can you please take me i tried and i failed a lot you know like and so that's i think that's where and i was actually i was just in new zealand a couple of weeks ago and this guy came up to me and um i, I went to new zealand for the first time a couple of years ago and uh, it was a super awesome time and uh, I went back again to the same festival and a dude came up to me and he was like, dude, I just want to tell you like crooked soul, like changed my life. Like I love that song. Like I heard that when you did that last year and it, it changed me. And I, because I am that I, that's who I am. Like I was a drug addict for most of my life and just going nowhere. And it was like by the, by the skin of my teeth, basically that I, you know, like climbed out of my own mess. And I don't, you know, like, I feel like when I'm writing, songs i'm writing for not the people who are in the pews every sunday because they don't need to hear 
like, what do they need? You know, what do we, you know, I'm sure that we all do, but like for the people who are already there, but what about the person who will never darken the door of a church? And even for the people who are darkening the doors, who are there, who are feeling like everyone around them gets it and they don't, because I feel that, I, you know, like I feel sometimes like I look around and everyone just seems to get it and it's so easy for them and it's not that way for me. And so that's where Crooked Soul is born out of it. And you know, also my own struggles and my own sin and the fact that my uncle, grand uncle was a witch doctor and he actually cursed my family. And, you know, like these things are, <laughs> this is like real life stuff that I just like, I had to put into song, you know, and. I was born so far from my daddy's place And my uncle cursed me down to my grave There's a devil watching all the moves I make And I can feel his breath with every step I take Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul Um, crooked soul will always mean um, a, a great deal to me just because it was me just pouring everything I had, everything, just all of me and all my brokenness and also think about others, you know, but um, I, I really appreciate you saying that because it, it, um, it will always be, uh, you know, it'll always be on the top of my list, I think, because, you know, I, I was, um, I, I, that was the moment. It's like I can be vulnerable. I can be, um, I can be real. I can be. It can be gross and gritty, and and it can. Be, you know that song. It's the chorus is "Can you?" It's a question because I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I'm like, why would he even bother? Why would God even bother? Why would he? You know why? You know like, can you? Can you? Do you even want to save this like crooked soul? I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know. But there, it's it's it's. There is um, lament and hope in the in, in the same kind of occupying the same space, and that's that's why I think I and that's why I love Crooked Soul. And that's why I think a lot of people have resonated with that song, and it's not even like one of those like super like chill, simple, no, flowery man. songs. No, it's it's, it's, intense. it's like it's intense. It's intense, and I you see you see me do it live. I'm like sweating and like wheezing after it. I'm like. I just I gave it I gave it to you guys. I'm done now, but there it is. So Yeah, let I, me let me quote the the line. I was born so far from my daddy's place. And from and my uncle cursed me down to my grave. There's a devil watching all the moves I make and I can feel his breath with every step I say every step I take. Can you save, oh save, oh save this crooked soul? Yeah. Woo. Yeah, man. You know, like it, Why would your uncle do that? <laughs> He's, he's so what? mean. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. It's my great uncle, actually. And it was a story that my <clears throat> my aunt and my mom told me that I had this great uncle who um, cursed my grandfather and his and his and his and his sons, essentially his sons and his son's sons. And my mom lived in fear of this curse. And I didn't learn about it until I was 18. <clears throat> and it just kind of like what a what a freaking tangled web we weave as human beings, you know, and my, my family, my, my parents immigrated from Nigeria, they're immigrants and, uh, <clears throat> they were illegal for a long time. And, uh, you know, my mom, you know, and, uh, I, I felt that first line, I was born so far from my daddy's place, you know, like I, I never, I didn't, was born in the States and I went back to Nigeria when I was two and I haven't been back since. And there's that sense of like, I don't know, there's, um, identity, you know, missing identity, longing for, 
for roots. Um, you know, also, you know, what is my history? You know, like, you know, like this, there's real, that's real, you know, like darkness in my, in my family, you know, like, which we kind of sometimes we want to shuffle under the rug and, um, you know, all those things kind of wrapped it. So it is, it really is. It reads like an actual autobiography of my, of my life. I'm, I'm not going to lie though. I think that that story is also the origin story of a superhero, right? Like <laughs> you have this curse on you and it gives you like super powers, but it leads you into darkness and you're constantly walking the knife's edge like Batman in the night. How much do you draw on that, and how much do you seek redemption? Mm. I, yeah, I, it's funny because Batman's like my like one of my favorite superheroes, and I've always and loved. And now them. you know why. I know why. Now you know I've why. I always loved these superheroes, the ones who are like, you know, Batman. You know, like uh, even like uh, what's that? I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna get super nerdy, so I'll probably stop here. But uh, let's uh, do it. Let's do yeah. it. Enter my I, world. <laughs> but uh, what's his name? Ghost Rider. No, he was yeah. like, whoo, man, there's something so intense, super intense about that struggle. That's the blues, man. Like, if you listen to, like, blues music, like, these guys are, like, and I think that I had, I really identify with that. Like, these guys are, like, you know, church-going guys who are also very honest with the fact that they're sinners. And they're like, man, the devil is on my case. And sometimes I dance with him, and then sometimes I, I I run away and try to run to the light. Like that's the blues, like the lament of life. You know, like life is hard. I've got an uncle who cursed me. I've got a woman who left me. I've got whatever. You know, like I don't I don't know. I I love that realness, just the 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 grit and sweat of actual life, and no, no nothing against you know any other writer but or, or or song or christian writer or whatever but i i i personally it's very hard for me sometimes to relate um and i know it is for a lot of other people like i i that's a great everything's great and wonderful for you for you and i get that but what about for us who are singing the blues man what if what about the batmans and the in the ghost riders you know out there who are just like i'm, I'm i want to do good and there's darkness in me and you know you know what about those people. Thank, I just want to say thank you for calling me a superhero because that really made me happy. That just like made my freaking week. <laughs> I was just gonna. So does this mean I get to sit at the cool kids table the next time we're doing a show together? You're always at the cool kids table. You always are. Don't worry. Next time, don't feel like you have to do the work. I'll tell my band ahead of time. Hey, this dude Gomer, he is the coolest person that's gonna be <laughs> in this room. So that way you don't have to feel like you have to work. I feel like you're the teacher telling all the other kids to play with me now. <laughs> Listen, he's he just doesn't want to be alone anymore. You kids have to let him play. Don't choose him last. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> you know, but you know, there is a place like what you're talking about, like with devotional music. Like I wouldn't sing this song during adoration. Exactly. But there, the, there's a, a a beautiful thing about. The song that like cuts you the deepest, yeah, cuts everyone else the deepest in a in a different way. You know, like this was like your life poured out, yeah. And now other people get to be I, I don't know what the word like filled up by like, um, you know, songs that like are super sad. Like my go to song in my angsty teenage years was uh, Aaron Lewis "I'm on, uh, Outside" or "I'm on the Outside." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that song? Are you, you familiar with it? You know what it no, is? No, no. Okay. Now, well, you just Sing said it. you just said yeah, 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 like five times. So, 
I got really excited. He's the guy from the band. Uh, oh shoot! Now I totally blanked on the band. Um, Stained. I feel like. Oh no, no. <laughs> okay, well let me let me back this train on up. <laughs> Limp Biscuit, Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit discovered Stained. Right. And there's this there's this beautiful piece. I think they're in maybe Louisville or something like that. Louisville. Mm-hmm. And they sing. He sings the song. It's mostly acoustic. Uh, called Outside. I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. Looking. Oh right yeah, there. of course. Yeah. I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. Yeah, yeah. but you got to listen to the acoustic version. Yes. The acoustic Just version. Him on the stage, right? I've seen this. Yeah, and yeah. Fred Durst is sitting there, ruins yeah, the ruins song. Ruins it. Uh, yes. But he ruins. I found out why he ruined the song. So in the middle of it, like this guy's seeing, there's a you know musical interlude part, and Fred Durst is like. Oh, it was in Biloxi, I think. He's like, Biloxi! Put it yeah. together! You know, you're like, That's oh, right. shut up, Durst. But the reason why is this song was so intensely personal that Aaron Lewis, who now is a country singer. I had no idea. Yeah, I found that out uh, on an airplane with a crazy person. Uh, <laughs> he uh, He was so nervous to do this song that he asked Fred to be on stage with him. And take the nervousness out, right? It's like he needed a buddy. And it was just this, like, heart-ripped-open kind of song. But that song was what got me through, in a lot of ways, that and Rump Shaker from Rex and Effect, got me through (laughs) my dad leaving us and going to California for, you know, X amount of years. And I only saw him through the summers and for, like, a week every two months when he came home. And I, I mean, the the lyrics are just so powerful that you can, like I said, like you can feel their blood in this song. Mm. And I feel like it's one thing to play what you know what people need to hear or want to hear. It's another thing to like break off a piece of yourself in that song. Absolutely. And it's awesome. I mean, it really is a great song, especially if you like the blues. Like if you like, if you have any background in the blues, you will love this song. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. so well done, good sir. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, your great great uncle cursed. <laughs> That's crazy. It's 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 and it's such a it's a gnarly story, and, and it's um, yeah, it's one of those things that I honestly wasn't aware of until I was probably nineteen, and my my mom told me about it, and I, it's hard too because I just I don't want to like a I don't want to offend you know, like my family, but like, you know, she told me this story that my aunt kind of backed it up and said, yeah, this is, you know, like what he's done. And like, he's kind of, you know, he's cursed, you know, the, the, the men of the Indolo family and, you know, like, especially the firstborns. And my mom was like, talk about how she was so worried about me for so long. And, you know, like we, you know, made this thing where we were going to fast every Friday and pray against it. And, I was, I was like, it, my, my world was kind of turned upside down. I'm like, what? This is crazy. And I had, I had no idea. It was so, yeah, it was like so life altering to, to hear those, you know, hear those words and something that I, you know, I, as, as much as I am Nigerian, I guess I'm, I don't, I didn't really understand. And, yeah. um, you know, like also kind of hit on that, you know, kind of lament of being so far away, you know, from, you know, my my mom grew up in Nigeria and then um, lived most of her life, her adult life, has lived most of her adult life. My dad lived most of his adult life 
in the States, you know? And so for us born, for me and my brother and my sister born in, in, um, in the United States, we, we, we did feel a little disconnect, you know? And I yeah. think some of that too is me trying to connect. And is that, I mean, that's a lot of it, you know, like, you know, trying to connect to who I am, you know, and that's, that's a lot of layers too. Like who I am is, you know, you know, the son of two immigrants, the son of the father and all these things kind of wrapped into one, you know, and, um, came out into a song that I, I, to this day, um, well, I don't know if I'll ever grow tired of playing cause I, I love it. I love yeah. it cause it's me. It's me. Yeah. You know, it is interesting that rootlessness that we feel, you know, like, I mean, one of the funny things, this one guy said uh, as a black pastor in New York and he was talking to one of my favorite authors, a guy named Reverend Timothy Keller. Mm. And he said to him, you know, the problem with the white people, <laughs> which is always a wonderful way to start a sentence. Yeah, I, I try to love that. I try to start that at least once a day when I'm at work. Uh, <laughs> I'll just be on the phone with a parishioner. You know what's wrong with white people? <laughs> of course, they'll usually agree because you know, sixty percent of my parish is Hispanic. They're like, "Oh, oh tell me about it." <laughs> Gringos is muy loco. Um, that was German. Uh, the, this pastor said, "You know what's wrong with white people?" is they think they don't think they have a culture right mm. they don't think they have a culture they think it's culture as such right and there's this i would say it's a huge product of the enlightenment especially of liberal protestantism that kind of became the groundwork of americanism that liberalism and i don't mean like democrat liberalism i mean like capitalism and democracy that kind of liberalism right, right. of you know, individualism, rationalism, empiricism, materialism, all of these isms kind of coalesce into, you know, the big thing is about universal truth and all this stuff to the point where as an individual, we neglect the community, yeah. which, which is crazy because then we're very susceptible to collectivism. When you reject, mm-hmm. reject community, the heart still longs for community, right? You can't get that out of you. And so yeah. because your heart still longs community, but you're an individualist, you fall right. prey to tyranny. You fall prey to the collective, right? And so, Absolutely. Uh, and so one of the interesting – and de Tocqueville said that when he said uh, democracy in America. But one of the interesting things, how these all like – how it all mixes and mingles is that there is a tendency in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America and then those who kind of participate in that culture. So – I'm Irish, so I'm kind of alienated from the Anglo-Saxon part. Right. You know, at least the history of my my family goes back, you know, to East Coast, segregated, you know, Irish need not apply. My my great-grandfather went through all of that on right. both sides of my family, right? Right. Um, and then my great-grandfather married a, a German woman, and you would have thought hell froze over. Um, <laughs> Von Buren. Uh, but what – I mean, like, so you have these experiences of, of rootlessness – of trying to understand who you are in a country where everyone's an individual and culture. Like I remember I was the first person in my family to celebrate our Irish heritage and not just mention it. Mm. Right. But we don't do that. We're, we're rootless. And so I tried to recover it. I went to Ireland. I drank a lot of Guinness. I thought that's what made me Irish. (laughs) Right. But then you go and you start to experience like the death of Catholicism in Ireland and, yeah. In America, Irish Catholics like look to Ireland like the motherland, right? Right. And in Ireland, it is it is just I mean, it's it's so horrible. The areas that I were in, 
uh, there wasn't a single person under 70 in any of the churches. Yeah. And we went to mass all the time and we never saw it. But um, that is to say, there is this intense feeling that who I am is life as such. But if that's only if you belong to the majority or the dominant culture. Right. If you don't belong to the majority or the dominant culture, then you're constantly butting up against differentness. Mm. Right? Whereas if you belong to that majority or dominant culture, you can dismiss the differentness as, oh, that's that individual or that's that group. But it's not – like that's weird. Right. This is what is as such, right? This is right. universal truth, universal community universal politics right and i think that that's where a lot of our shit gets crazy Mm -hmm. is that we cannot seem to get past the fact that it is a made up of many subcultures but a dominant culture that is a definitive culture right and it manifests itself in crazy ways like when i talk to atheists now oh my gosh and they lead with how i can never believe in a god who claims to be all loving but sends people for an eternity in hell and i say wow how white western european of you (laughs) <laughs> thank God Thank God, you have a culture of Christianity which teaches that God is love. Right. Like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, listen, if you go to, to 100 years ago, if you were going to the naturalist religions in Africa, they would not believe in a heaven. They believe there's no such thing as forgiveness. Right. Why? Because they were naturalists and there's no forgiveness in nature. You no. fall off a cliff, you break your leg, there's no coming back from that. Right. You go to Korea 50 years ago, they believed in hell because they believed in justice. It was almost impossible for, you know, Korean Christians' grandfathers and grandmothers to believe in a heaven that was unearned. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Right? And so it's like today, the more of the white European or that, that you know, the Anglo, Anglophone world, they see hell as obviously this isn't true, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, that's your culture. Your culture has taught you to believe in justice and mercy and forgiveness because you're the inheritors of Christianity. Whereas other cultures, it's not like that at all. But they see it as culture as such rather than, you know, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, I, I think from, you know, and me, pers- like me personally, growing up in a Nigerian um household. Oh, I thought you were Irish. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I don't know if you know, but St. Patrick is the patron saint of Nigeria. I did so. know that. I did know that. Boom. You did know that. I didn't. Uh, I lied. I lied. <laughs> You're such a liar. Damn it. Um, I, uh, growing up in a Nigerian household um, and, and kind of learning about, I don't know, you learn about God the Father also through your experiences, right? And so, uh, for me, learning about God the Father was learning that, like, my dad was a disciplinarian. Like, he, like, if I towed the, if I didn't tow the line, if I went out of line, he was going to get that belt and he was going to take my hand. And he was going to hit my hand with that belt. Like, that was like the reality of my life. And that's how I started to see God, God the Father. You know, like, that's who, that's what I thought about, you know, and, um, because of my experience as you call God father. And I had this father blah, blah, blah. And it was actually weird. Cause I started when I was a kid, I was a, like a pretty, I loved to read. And so I was an early reader. 
And but I didn't like read anything of consequence. I, not really. I just read I just read like sci-fi books and like fantasy stuff. And uh, but I I read um, sort of reading the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia very early on in my uh, in my life. And like I was in first grade or something. And uh, I started to. Uh, it, it was great for me because my my who God my my I guess my ideas of God and um, were shaped by these uh, narratives that C.S. Lewis had written these you know these fantasy books that C.S. Lewis had written. No one had to tell me that you know Aslan was a you know was an was a was you know was an analogy for um, for Jesus and. and but you know, but there was something always weird because Aslan was always, he was always, he was always like the son of the emperor across the sea, right? But he, we never like, who was the emperor across the sea, right? That was never, yeah, was never addressed. Aslan was this like guy, this this lion god, deity, and he was the son of the emperor across the sea. And I thought it was really interesting that C.S. Lewis did that. He never, he was the son of this person, but he, he you know, I was always kind of confused by that as a, as a, um, as a child, you know, as a kid. He's like, are we ever going to meet this emperor across the sea? And, and you never do, it, not even in the last book. Yeah. And it, it made, it actually, re, I realized that that was, I think that was purposeful. Yeah. Like we already did. We, we met him. We met the emperor across the sea. Was Aslan, you know, like we, we didn't need, we didn't need to to actually see him. We did see him. This is we. It's it's crazy. It's crazy because we we take all of our cultural experiences and and we and we put them on this God, right? This God who, like, big is not even a word to describe God. The this God who has. You know, we call Alpha and Omega. No, no ending, eternal. We can, which we can sort of conceptualize, right? We, I can kind of conceptualize forever, but no beginning. That I that right there. We should just stop right there and fall on our faces, because we have no idea. We don't have any context for what that means. That we have a God who didn't have a start, no start. We'd have. We, we've got, we've got, no, I've got nothing. I don't know about anybody else, but we've got, I have nothing. I don't know what to say. I just, I, it causes me to tremble, tremble. You know what I'm saying? Like I, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. Uh, it, but it really does. Like I, I, like I, I think maybe we're just not okay with mystery. I don't Maybe that's what it is. And the fact that we could, we have absolutely, we barely know, What's happening on the on Earth, and that's like that's like a microscopic dust mite on another microscopic dust mite in the universe, you know, like that. Yeah, you know, we have no clue, and this is just God, just like that's just another day at work. He's like, yeah, I want to do this. Boom, snap, boom, stars, blazing balls of fire, boom, black holes in your face. I just did that, that and is. I thought about it. And if I stop thinking about it, it's going to go away. That shit is unreal to me. (laughs) I just, I can't even fathom. And I think for me personally, when I start to get bogged down by the stuff, and this is what God, I just think about Alpha. 
I'm like, nah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I clearly, I clearly don't get it. But I think the cool thing is, is uh, in my life, I have experienced like the love of that God in in tangible ways. But it's been there. And it really does cause me to tremble because I'm like, I, I just don't even, I can't even process. I can't, can't process that. That's probably not, that's, I think that was just a tangent. I don't know what I was saying. I just like talking about Alpha and Omega, but. Well, we drank it down, my friend. <laughs> like a delicious whiskey served in a weird hotel coffee cup. <laughs> From the Hampton Inn. From the Hampton Inn. Oh, man. Uh. <laughs> You know, I, I want to say one last thing about something earlier that I forgot to say. Yeah. We we have this – I know you're an avid listener and you've consumed every episode. We have this uh, saying about <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> so Luke one time, me and him were talking. It was actually just a few episodes back, like 71 or something. Yeah. And Luke had said, uh, you know, like we, he was kind of lamenting that we don't have like – you know, we'll never get to the EW tank because we cause because we talk about actual honest stuff. Uh, and yeah, not, yeah. Our, our our kind of our motto is discussion over instruction. We don't just. There's plenty of shows that do that a thousand times better than we ever could. Sure. So we just want to do something new, you know, and just talk with people. And so one of the things that I that we were talking about, Luke was like, you know, like the EWTN audience and all these people, blah blah. And I was like, Luke. We will never have that. We're going to have the scraps that fall from the master's table. I was like, the, our audience is the Syrophoenician woman, right? That, that is who the woman who came to Jesus is like, even the dogs get the scraps. We're the dogs. We're the Syrophoenician women, which happened to be today's reading, which is why Allison texted that to me. Nice. Um, right. And it's so great because – like, I feel like that is, that kind of, like, sums up where the church has been missing. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're cool yeah. with what, like, I like that you said, I'm playing the songs that people want to hear versus, like, the thing that makes me bleed in the core of my being. Yeah. And I think about that when I give talks. Like, I remember one time I gave a talk with uh, Any, and we were up in, uh, at Steubenville, and... And when you're on campus talking to a bunch of Franciscan University theology majors, like, what the heck do you say? Because I had the cross talk, the give your life to Jesus talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But what you say is you have to challenge their conceit. Yeah. And you have to challenge the fact that after a while, after you've had your conversion experience, and that's in your rear view, after you've made progress in the moral life and the spiritual life, you can become an arrogant jerk. Absolutely. And instead of saying, look how you saved me, you turn around and say, look what I did. Yeah. And then you, you become a Pharisee. That's the sin of the Pharisees. Yeah. Is they justify themselves rather than letting God justify them. Absolutely. And that's why you have, um, you know, you got the rich young man. Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he's like, I've kept them all. And he's like, great. Now give all your stuff away to the poor and follow me. And he's like, oh, I'm sad. And he leaves. Because that's that was his idol. That was his thing. That was his status. That was his identity. And that's why Christ said it. Christ didn't tell everyone to give up all their money. But he told that guy because that guy worshipped his money. Exactly. And you have this crazy encounter at that moment with here's a rich young man, a ruler, Luke says, 
who is a good person yeah. who we all probably would have hung out with. Yeah. And then he's, and then at the end of that chapter, he says, can a rich man even be saved? And everyone's freaking out. And he's like, look, it's easier for an eye of an, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to be saved. And then everyone goes nuts even more. And he's like, what? What do you want from me? And then you turn the page. The next <laughs> chapter is a rich man being saved. It's the story of short little Zacchaeus. Yeah. But he was the type of person that none of us would have hung out with. <laughs> exactly. He was the traitor. He was the embezzler. He was the criminal. He was probably hanging out with prostitutes because he wasn't hanging out with people that would love him. He right. was hanging out with people he had to pay to hang out with. Exactly. And and you think about this, like one's really moral but loses salvation. The other one really immoral, but because he places it all in Christ, he gains salvation. Yeah. And that's what you have to say to everyone, but you have to especially say that to the quote-unquote righteous, you know? Right. And I remember thinking about, like, I'm just sitting there, like, 10 minutes before I'm supposed to give a talk, and I'm like, Jesus, what am I supposed to say? (laughs) Honestly, Lord, what am I supposed to say here to these people? And after I give him my talk, and he came up to me, and he was like, dude, you left it all out there. You left it all out there. Like, you gave it all. And I literally, I was exhausted. I was, I just went off stage and sat by myself for a while. And <laughs> Like a true introvert. Yeah. Yeah, but I am not an introvert. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, be- I became my wife all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> it was good that I was with people, but now I need to not be with people for a month. <laughs> yeah, for- at least a month. Yeah. I'm like, screw that. Let's go to the bar. <laughs> yeah man and it's it's true i you know and i i think um i like i know we're trying to wrap up but i i was there man i i was um you know like just uh just loving the smell of my own shite and just and um is that that's, german uh, is that german yes it is german shite it's, uh, or <laughs> i i don't know gaelic who knows <laughs> But um, so I, 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 and I get that. I get that. And um, it's, I think even for me, it's, it's, I guess it's hard for me now to relate, but I have to remember, like I was there. I really was. And even, I guess even me talking about, I was where you were even pharisaical in, 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 in itself, Yeah, you know, like, and, and that's, I guess that's the constant struggle is even when you, even when you're like, well, I used to be a Pharisee, but now I'm enlightened. Wait, damn it. Now I'm a Pharisee again. You know, and so I, I guess I struggle with the circular, <laughs> the circular motion of always coming back to being the Pharisee. And I, and it has to start with humility, right? Like it has to, like it has to, that's where it has to begin. It's like, I, I don't know Jack. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. I really don't. And I, and I, as much as I try and I know, and I want to, you know, I read and I, and I, whatever like give you all the whatever and i travel and you know yeah. share the gospel as i say i don't i just don't know anything i don't know anything and i'm just i'm only allowed to exist at the at the at the you know at the pleasure of my god <laughs> yeah. uh, you know i'm allowed to be here at the, you know because he allows me to be here would you say we, would you say almost that we are the beggars we i would say that with the utmost urgency that <laughs> nice Christian, you are just a beggar, just a poor 
popper. That's all. That's all you are. We got through this whole thing. We didn't say one word about Trump. This is really awesome. You're welcome, America. <laughs> You're welcome, America. That's another episode where Ike just shows you who he really is. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, snap. It's about to get real. Black Lives Matter. Oh, no. I'm I'm sorry. We don't accept that type of black person on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we only want a black person that can make white people feel safe. There's a there's a book I linked to on my on my Facebook page. Uh you're going to love this title cuz I feel awkward saying it, but uh let me let me pull it up real quick. I linked it. I think this is a great quote. And you can tell me what you think of this quote, but uh pulling it up right now. Uh, decades ago, acclaimed writer and thinker James Baldwin noted that our, quote, concept of entertainment is difficult to distinguish from the use of narcotics. Ooh. And it was a post from, uh, in the arts and entertainment section, the Washington Post. And uh, this person's writing, I have no idea how to pronounce, Azadi is the last name, El Elahi Azadi. And the book is called I'm Not Your Negro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's not a book. It's a film by Magnolia Pictures. Mm -hmm. And so this guy goes through Hollywood and, like, destroys it piece by piece and how it relates to black people. And how the whole kind of framing around it is essentially it's to make the the fabricated image of the Negro is to make white people feel safe around Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so what was the the Sidney Poitier movie where – Guess who's coming home to dinner? Guess who's, guess who's, yeah, guess who's, uh, guess who's coming to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, yeah, guess who's coming to dinner. But he was like the elite of the elite, right? He's a doctor. He's, you know, all this stuff. And so it's like, okay, you're very articulate, handsome, have a PhD. Right. You can get the girl, but no one else can, you know? He has this, there's a movie, um, 1958 movie, The Defiant Ones, in which a pair of prison escapees, chase a a runaway train the black convict makes it on but he jumps off the train after the white convict can't catch up while white liberals may have been relieved baldwin says in the documentary black audiences were yelling get back on the train you fool exactly right i mean think about it because he's not gonna come and save you right the black man jumps off the train in order to reassure white people to make them know they're not hated but it's funny, like, as a white person, I don't ever – I think of, like, oh, look at the good moral example, right? Like, oh, right. that stereotypical racist white person thinks black people are all out for themselves and they all they yeah. don't care about white people. Here's this man being heroic. And I, I bet you the writers were thinking that. They're like, well, look how I paint – you know. And th- but then you see it happen over and over again where you're like, the, the, the stereotypical black person in the movie, typically a woman – who advances? Who's like a prophet or a uh, a wise person? But right. they don't. But they're not central. I mean, they're central to the plot in that they further it along. But like the oracle in right. the in Matrix. Matrix, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. She's the definitive. But but the legend of Bagger Vance, right, is Will Smith's yeah. character trying right. to teach a white golfer how to be better at golfing at a club that never would have let Will Smith golf. Exactly. It's just fascinating. And when you start it to is. see this, oh man. Yeah, because it, yeah, it is as if it is as if our role is just to prop up whiteness, as to affirm wh- whiteness, and, and and our own struggles and our own, you know, like misgivings are not welcome on the screen. 
Rather, we'd much rather you be the magical Negro who comes in and like, well, sir, let me tell you how to play golf and so you can win and da-da-da and get the girl and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to fade off into the distance. That's bullshit. Listen, I am a man with struggles and temptations. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes when I'm singing songs at you, I don't want to do that. I'm tired and I hate you. And I think that all you think is that I'm just here to like dance for you. Like that's real life. And I don't know if this is ever going to make the show. Maybe it shouldn't, but this is real. Like (laughs) I, I honestly, there are times, several times where I struggle the fact that I'm an entertainer. That's literally what I am. You can call me a worship leader. You can, you can put, you can put some Christianese on it. But the reality is, is I'm entertaining you because I have a good voice and I and I do and I do it decently. And so you call me to do your things to make your people love Jesus more, whatever it is. But inside my own heart is a struggle because I'm struggling because I'm just a person. That's it. Not not Bagger Vance, who's like comes in is like. Ike's, you know, like I hear Ike's got this gift. He's got this anointing. It's like, duh, it's like, no, man, I'm just a sinner. That's it. I'm just a sinner who happens, happens to have a gift of these things. But it's, it's hard. It's very hard in this American culture for myself because this is what I struggle with every single time I'm on stage. Do you every single time? Do you struggle with it because, like? There is such the stereotype of the black entertainer, yeah. right? Like the tap, like you said that you know, here I am tap da- or dancing for you, you know, like right. that whole that whole notion of like, again, you're serving a, a predominantly white audience because I'm I'm assuming white suburban parishes are the ones that can afford you to come out and absolutely, absolutely, yeah, I, it is, it is, uh. There is a, I don't know what it, you know, I think even pro athletes will talk about this too. Then, you know, there is this kind of sense that you are still a commodity. You're still a commodity. And uh, I remember this story. This my, my aunt was talking about my cousin um, who is a good baseball player. He's a good baseball player. And she was talking about how this tournament that he played in there in Canada. And this is a long time ago. And it's weird that this has stuck with me. They probably won't even remember this story. My aunt probably won't even remember this story, but I remember because she's because she, you know, she's he, my cousin, won, got the MVP of the tournament, and Nigerians are, are if anything, they are blunt. <laughs> if you, Nigerians are blunt, they will tell you the truth. They'll tell you what they feel. My aunt said this. She's like, he didn't deserve it. He wasn't even that good <laughs> on this tournament, but because. He was the only black boy on the field. Everything he did was just magic. It was magic. And the people who actually deserved the MVP didn't get it because he got it because of his quote-unquote magic, which reduces him. And it's hard because then it's like, well, if he doesn't get it, well, then are they racist? Yeah. No, no, no. You know, like it's such a hard – it's such a fine – Line like the Oscars last year, like the hashtag Oscars so white. Yeah, and it was like, you know, like for me, it's like I totally believe that. But then this year, Oscars so black, like I'm t- like freaking Academy Awards are like black. You, I mean, it's the blackest 
Academy Awards I've ever seen, you know? Like, and is it because of the response of the hashtag and the criticism? Or is it because he's that people actually, and I haven't, you know, like Hidden Figures, for instance, you know, I haven't seen the movie yet, but my sister has, and she said it's amazing. I know it's a great movie. I, I could feel it. I, I, I want to take my daughters to it. I can't because they're too young and are stupid. But <laughs> my whole my whole thing is living in Houston. NASA has this. I, I tell my daughter, especially Cecilia, who's really good at math. I'm like, honey, you need to get really good at math and be an athlete because daddy wants to retire on Mars with Elon <laughs> Musk. You're the one that's going to get daddy there. So I like I went to this church down in Clear Lake where a lot of NASA people are. And I met a woman who's in charge of the Orion program. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um um, and then I chickened out right at the end because she's like a celebrity yeah. to me. And I'm like, sure. I wanted to film her saying to my daughters, you too can do this, you know? Yeah, and then the, yeah. the, the movie came out. But people are saying it's a breakaway hit. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I don't even doubt it. I don't even doubt it. There, But it, to be black in this country sometimes, you second guess and second guess. Because you're like, is this because they felt obligated or is it because we actually deserved it? And it's hard. It, it's a hard line to, to, to walk, you know, and, and uh, I honestly believe that. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I, I, from what I've heard from people who, everywhere, it's, it's, it is. It totally deserves it. Um, it's just hard after a, a, the whitest Oscars ever to go to the blackest Oscars ever. And, you know, like, is Hidden Figures going to win it all or is La La Land going to win it all? Like, well, what's better for our PR, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's such a hard, it's a, it's a hard thing. And I think for myself, when I, me personally, as someone who plays music and, and, and leads worship for, for, for a living and plays songs for a living, there are times where I feel, I don't, I don't, I feel like I am able to do this for a living just because like, I don't know if I, and it's weird to say, this is weird to say, but would I be doing this if I was, if I was white? Is that weird? Would I would I have as many games? But then I say, would I be more successful if I were white? You know, like I'm doing, I do great for myself. You know, like and I'm, I'm able to pay my bills. And like if I were white, would I? You know, would it be bigger? Would it be bigger? Would it be would it be smaller? I don't. I, I have. I. It's hard for me to. I mean, I have my own opinions for sure. Um, so you're saying you're you're caught in this weird middle ground between do I deserve to be here or yes. are they just you know like so you and and because of things like affirmative action which right. is send, trying to level the playing field but at the same time uplifts people and boots out people who deserve it and right. in order to uplift people who don't deserve it but at the same time Shouldn't we as a society and group them all together as a, you know, you, you have this double think of, I never thought of it like that. Like, yeah, I, I'm a good, like, cause I, I, I love when you're playing, right? I love be, doing yeah. conferences with you because you have, you have a, a, a wonderful energy when you do the music, right? now I'm not yeah. a musician. I can't tell the difference between, you know, an amazing guitarist and a pretty damn good guitarist. I can't, right. but right. at the same time. Uh, I, I, you know, I love being at, at a conference where you're at cause you're funny and, uh, your drummer thinks I'm funny. Yeah. So that's like a main thing. Uh, but yeah. also, but also only because you're black. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's crazy. Like I never thought about that. Right. It's the shifting sand of 
your identity's foundation, right? Like, oh, I, I've spent years of my life cultivating this talent. I have played with the best of the best around the world. I'm giving a talk in New Zealand. Like, people love me. Or do they? Or do they? And that's a hard thing. And is it, and because then is, or do they? And if they do, is it like only so much? You know, is it only, only to a certain extent? It's like the guy who's like, I love this guy, this black guy who does these things. What if they dated your daughter? Whoa, 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 whoa. Only so far. Yeah. You know? And that is, to me, uh, that, and I'm, I'm, this is like realness because it's, it's it real. is because it's getting real because it's 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 twelve thirty on the east coast <laughs> and I came from the west coast and I've had um and I've had a, a full night of things and I'm being honest and yes. my honest my my if I'm if I can be vulnerable my that is my biggest that is some of my biggest wounds and I've this is like this is not just I'm not just saying this because you know I heard it somewhere these are things that have happened you know like where I feel like, um, you know, if being black has been beneficial, but also detrimental, that's, that's a weird place to be. Yeah. It's, it's taken me so far, but not that far, you know, like we love and, 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 and then on top of that, being an artist, like, well, maybe I just don't write that good of songs, <laughs> you know, like it, it, there's so many, there's so much second guessing that happens in my life. Um, when it comes to my career, my art, you know, um, you know, my gigs or why I lost a gig. Why did I lose this gig? Probably because I'm black, you know, or probably because I've been tweeting about Ferguson and how much I hate Trump, you know, and, 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 and you just don't, you don't, I don't know. I don't know, you know, like, and I, you hear whispers and you, you look at your calendar and things that you had are not there anymore. And you and I wonder, you know. I was listening. I was reading an article from John Legend just recently. He's very vocal in his, in his, uh, in his political, you know, stance. And he said on his on his deal, like, and people people say to him all the time, "Yo, you're just an entertainer. Stick, stay in your lane, sing your songs, right? You know, do, do entertain. We don't want to hear about your politics. It's a very offensive thing because John Legend." is a human being who has, and, and on top of that, he's an American and a taxpayer who has every right to voice his opinions on what he believes every single right. Yeah. But the, the reaction from some of his fans is just, or his fans or former fans stick, stick to music. Don't, 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 we don't need to hear, hear your politics. I, I just don't, I don't prescribe to that because I think, you know, like that re- relegates me to just a voice, just someone who's going to get in front of you and make you feel good. And then like bagger Vance, just fade into the distance, just that magical Negro who came in and made you feel good. But then when that same person is talking about his actual sin and struggle and hardships, and then he, then he becomes a pariah maybe, or he becomes, you know, like it's just, we just wanted you to be magical, magical. That's all we wanted. We didn't want you to be real. We don't have time for your problems. That doesn't fit into our narrative. I don't know if these are all true. This is just, this is my own, this is me revealing my own, you know, my own thought process sometimes, which can be debilitating. It really can be. And some things that a lot of people don't have to deal with, you know, um, 
everyone has another thing, other things to deal with, but this is, this is what I deal with every single time I'm, I go somewhere, you know, does that, I don't know if that makes any sense. I just, but I think it's, to me, this is super fascinating because for the longest time I, I'm, I, now all I do is study culture because I want to write this podcast has caused me to pay such like a laser focus on culture and subcultures and what is it doing um, and how do we interact and whatnot um, within it. But there's a, one of the last last year, uh, a year ago, December, we tried to get a um, propaganda. Uh, yeah, prop. Yeah, yeah. We tried to get him on the show, and he was all about it. But then his record label, literally a week before the show, launched their own podcast, and then said that they're not their artists are going to do their podcast first. And so we haven't heard back. <laughs> he hasn't been able to do it. But yeah, that's a bummer. right. And my the first song I ever heard from him was um, "Precious Puritans." Luke sent it to me. And, um, and I've listened to, I'm pretty sure I've listened to every single thing he's ever done. Um, but he has this one song that I really like three chord bond where mm. he talks about, um, the first verse is kind of how white people appropriate black culture and, you know, all this stuff. Right. And then the second one is how black people admire Hispanic culture in America and all that stuff. And then the last the last one is how black people admire and, you know, want what white people have. And mm. when, I think it was such like, so the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> and I watch them covet our style, our confidence, natural rhythm, our terms of endearment, but not our struggle. And the mm. products of the ghetto, what poverty can produce. And oddly enough, we giggled when you mimicked us sweet revenge you know you just picture all these white teenagers sagging having no idea where that comes from right sure yeah and then he has this line where he says homie's not stupid can tell the difference between admiration and mockery and you're like ah you know and we protected our music because truthfully we thought it was all we had and we watched y'all make a killing off of it from hip-hop to jazz and he goes and describes all this but then he gets to the white people and he says this line that i thought was amazing he says we coveted your privilege your generational wealth, your unquestioned personhood, but not your struggle. Mm. And when I heard that, I was like that. And he has said that before, the, the, the personhood thing. You know, you don't even think about that as like, like as a white person belonging to the dominant culture. Right. And I, my, my problem is when people play, when people accuse other people of racism I think it's really culturalism, right? It's this dominant culture. So, like, you know, you label it abonics, you know, African-American uh, vernacular English is technically what it's called. But right. when you label something abonics and you just dismiss it out of hand, it's labeled as racist. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who are racist who are like, you don't talk right, you know, whatever. But, sure. then there's, but there's an element of, like, dominant culture, right? There's the Queen's English, but then there's the Cockney, right? And the Cockneys right. always look down on because it's classless or, or right. it doesn't fit the dominant mold of the culture. And so I feel like there's some of that stuff that you made. But he goes on, he says, and we felt it wasn't fair. We wanted your options, your grasp of proper doctrines and literature, your work for the American dream, apple pie, it worked for you. So we worked for you. You made it seem so easy. You grit your teeth. You could succeed. But we didn't know your story. We thought white was white, not Irish. And he goes, and, and it's funny how uh, this this notion of white culture being culture as such is is part of the problem 
for minorities relating to white people because it's like, well, yeah. we want that. We want this. And it's like, yeah, but this is a culture. It's not just a, a skin color. But the problem is so much of it is bound to skin color. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's like I can see what side of the line you're on just by looking at you, even if you really aren't, you know? Right. And yeah. it muddy, muddies the waters so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I – it's – yeah, I think it's um, it's hard for me too because I'm being an immigrant, you know, the son of an immigrant. You know, I was born in the States, but I was um, – <clears throat> I was clearly – clearly African to a lot of my black friends when I was younger and black people. And, uh, to be, to be on the, to be so much, so much on the outside for even the people that you thought you could relate to is, um, I think, and I'll just say this for myself was a kind of a traumatizing experience. And, um, so all I did was I tried to identify with um, just being black. I had a I had a girl, uh, a, this girl in a in a social studies class I was in, in my junior year, and she told me that I wasn't black, which is a very hard thing for a black person to hear. Hard, like you know, from another black person. You know, another black person to tell another black person, this person isn't black. He's an Uncle Tom. Those are, those are words that are they they cut deep. Um, to hear it from this outsider, she was Cambodian. She had a black boyfriend. She thought she had the authority to tell me what black was. Uh. She's like, "Well, you're not black." I'm like, "What?" And she's like, "You're not black. Like, my boyfriend's black, but you're not black. Like, you're African." And I was so flustered and so angry and so uh, saddened i didn't know what to say I, I was like you're wrong i'm black i am black i just wanted so desperately to share in the black experience and i did to the for the most part and but for some parts i didn't because i went home to parents who came from a country where they knew their ancestors story, you know, um, who had a language, uh, that they spoke. And so my experience, my, my, I think I have, I have this very interesting view, um, because I, I didn't grow up in a black American household. I grew up in an African household. Um, but I was a black, but I'm a black American and I ever, all that goes with it is what I experienced. And then, on top of that, being a lifelong Catholic in a very small white town, in a very <laughs> oh, small God. white church, with very proud African parents who dress up dresses in very loud African clothes sometimes, and I, I like I, I seriously, I, I, there were moments when I was just like, I don't know who the hell I am. I'm all these things and none of these things. So I think it's hard for me when I, when I this is all personal, obviously. Um, it's hard for, it's, it is hard for me. And I, I think, I think a lot of still, mo I mean, I am, I'm, there's a couple things I, I rest my hand. I'm, I'm an American. I'm, I'm a black American and have experienced those things that black Americans, black Americans experience. Um, I'm also the son of immigrants, you know, um, immigrants who were, 
very were seriously afraid of being deported because their visas were not valid. Um, you know, I lived under that. There's so many things that just kind of like meet in one. This like this this tornado of experience that I'm like, I sometimes struggle with, you know, because I'm what am I? Well, who am I? And I, I was 18, 19 when I struggled with these. And I thought at 30, blah, 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 that I was going to be able to figure this out. And I'm still, sometimes, I'm still trying to piece through this. Like, what does it mean to be me? You know, and, um, and it's not an easy thing. And But at the same time, I, I you know, like I, because of the merit of, because of what I look like, I am immediate, like immediately put in this category, which is fine with me, to be honest. Like, I, I want it's like it's like um, Moses, right? Who was raised as a as a as as the Pharaoh, you know, as the Pharaoh's adopted son, and then he realized, and then he, but he isn't. He's a he's a Jew, and he he proudly counted himself as one. And I, and I and that's a very extreme example. I'm not Moses. I wasn't put in a basket when I was a kid. Uh, you're a little Moses-ish. <laughs> you're a little Moses-ish. Don't discount yourself. You are a superhero. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm going to call myself Black Moses. Uh, you know there is a Black Moses, right? I know. I know. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Full circle. We have gone full circle. As we have gone full circle. But I, I just, I know, you know, Oscar Robinson. He, I'm just going to go ahead and take that name from him. Anyway, whatever. Good. So I, 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 I think for myself, like I, 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 well, I'll just say this. I, I just, I feel like I lived in a lot of worlds. I lived in a couple different worlds and, um, I find myself now still trying to piece that all together and, um, suss out some sort of still suss out more of my identity, not all of it because I do I am very confident in who I am I, I am but still there's still there's still moments of doubt and uh, and uh, it's funny because I know we all struggle but I think it's like you what like what you said the dominant culture because you know like because being whiteness is the is the norm is the is the norm has become the norm um, and everything else is other which is really not America. It really isn't. I know that's what it is, like face value. But the reality is, is like there's, you know, like this, this, this is that's actually not what it's about. Like we, we this is a, a land of several different experiences and cultures coming clash coming together and butting heads and being. But you know, like, and I don't know how you take that down. I don't know how you take that down. I don't know how you how you destroy that mentality that this is what is American culture. There's just no way. I I think maybe eventually when we're all tan, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, but see, that's my fear is this. We, we don't know how to love one another. We don't know how to break down the dividing walls of hostility. We constantly erect new ones in our, in our pride, in our arrogance, in our violence, in our selfishness. And in our oppression, our victimhood, all of these things become catalysts for more walls to go up. 
sure. more barriers between people. And I think that that, like, sameness is the greatest answer that individualism can give to the problem of inequality. Mm. You know, because that, and, and, and then you have collectivism, right? It's yeah. like, if, if only we were all gray, right. sure. you know, or yeah. if, if only we were all, you know, like a, a lighter shade of black <laughs> or something in the middle. Right. You know, but then, and because then on the outside, we would all look the same. But the problem is, uh, the problem is we have to be able to, we have to somehow figure out a way to overcome outward appearances. Humanity has never been able to do that. Sure. But we have to figure out something because I'm going to tell you, sameness don't work. Sure. And, 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 and I think you're right. And, and even if we were all gray or some weird shade of black, you know, have, whatever. Have you seen, is. have you seen community where the guy is gray, their mascot? Cause they wanted yeah. to be so PC that he just, yeah, gray. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's gray. And if we were all that, we, I think we're, we'd still find a way to divide. We're tribal. That's, that's just what we do. We would find a way, we would find a way to, to divide ourselves that, but at the same time, I don't. I actually don't think that our divisions are bad. I don't. I, I actually don't want. I. I mean, yeah. I think most. I mean, think there are more and more, you know, like racially nondescript people, and I have. I honestly have no problem with that. I really don't. You know, like. Um, but at the same time, like my nieces who are of mixed race, like I. I want them to know their polish side which is very strong and i want them to know their nigerian side which is also very strong like i i want them to know those things and to be happy and proud and not exclusive um can we do that i, I don't know like i you know like history teaches history says that we can't i don't know what can we just need you know what we need goma is we need aliens to come and attack and then we'll all just come together naturally because uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. well, now it's us against the aliens. Because, uh-huh. you know, like I just just to I, I know this is like this. This is like super nerdy. But come on. If we had a common enemy, the aliens, we'd all come together and it'd just be one big, happy family for a while. While we fight. The, have you seen Independence Day? We and now and now we're coming back to Will Smith. <laughs> Right, we're co- we've come back to Will Smith, who welcomed to Earth and punched the aliens in the face. Welcome to Earth. Yeah, Cele- he didn't I mean, say welcome to America. He no. said welcome to Earth. We and need then, that moment. Yeah. We need that moment. And then he put a Cuban cigar in his mouth. Uh huh. Uh-huh. He he. Will Smith and celebrated with a Jew. Celebrated with a Jew. <laughs> uh, you want to come over here and pray? Oh, I'm, I'm not Jewish. Uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, nobody's perfect. That's the best line in the whole movie. That's such a great line. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame they made the second one. It was really terrible. Oh, it was so bad, but I it watched it in the theater because I have to. Me too. I'm like, that movie's going to be terrible, but I went and saw Batman vs. Superman, and it was legitimately the worst. Oh. Sorry well, if I will you know, we do need we do need uh, a common enemy. I was just reading this, so I have uh, Amazon Unlimited, yeah, which is terrible for the most part, but it lets me read the best of un- uh, self published science fiction. 
And so I'm reading this series. And I know. Self-published. Self-published. Oh, so, self-published. Yeah. So it's the people that use like Amazon self-publishing thing. And they get – they're really highly rated and whatever. So, you know, authors today, they don't know how to write three books and call it an end. They have to write like a 20-series thing. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this story of these – it's a story of the, like the Earth at war with these aliens. And the aliens are just – it's horrible. So everyone in the whole world has to go into military service. Ha! From 18 to 25 or something like that, you have to go into military service. And right. it's a story of these two kids whose parents were killed by the aliens and their best – or they live together and now they're in this, in this war. But So they come home. The, the third book is they're victorious. And they come home after five, you know, three more years of doing odd jobs around the galaxy. They come home to Earth. And they're greeted by a never war crowd of peace protesters who spit on them, call them baby killers and alien killers and xenophobes and all this stuff. And yeah. then, and then a group of skinheads emerge who are an earth power movement. And they're like, ah. the purity of earth races and all. <laughs> and the whole thing. So I thought that was so funny that you were talking about. We still find a way, but aliens, that, you know, and it's when you have these skinheads with. Steel-tipped boots uh, beating up the hippies. It was... It was <laughs> Love crazy. the aliens. No, Earth first. Earth first. Yeah. Earth. Hey, listen. We've got to take care of Earth first. Earth first. Uh-oh. You're doing Uh-oh. it. You're I doing know. It. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. That, that's just a whole other kind of worms that maybe we just don't have time right now. That's we true. That's just... true. So Let what me... do you think? What do you think? Uh, gigantic two-hour episode? Should I divide this up into two episodes and release you... it? This should definitely be divided up. I maybe even three. Maybe just cut like literally seventy five percent and just like put Ike likes Crooked Soul. It's his favorite song. And then that's it. This, I, is, long, this I, is long. Ike, Ike likes Crooked Soul, but he's afraid you don't like him. <laughs> Film at eleven. Nailed it. You yes. nailed it. Yes. Well, it is Black History Month. That's the whole reason why yes. I had you on. Yeah. Oh well, I appreciate that. And yeah. uh, to all the amazing black um, Americans who have contributed to our great nation. I don't mean any of that. And, to, and not just George Washington Carver. All right, enough about the peanuts. Enough. And Frederick <laughs> Douglass, because he's actually not alive. But I, I... Black History Month is such a... It was such a funny time for me in social studies when I was a kid because we get to anything black related and all the kids in my very white classroom would always look at me. <laughs> like, so we're going to talk about slavery. And it was like, there was like, there's an echo that happened and like <laughs> the teacher's voice got deeper. Cause this is very grave. And then all heads or eyeballs would just slowly turn towards all the three black people in the room. We're like, ah, oh, shit, here it comes. <laughs> Whoa, three black people. Was this in a major urban city in a Catholic church? <laughs> Surprisingly, it was in a very small college town in Columbia, Missouri. But I think on average, there was about three of us, three of us in the classroom. One day I'll tell you about how I almost got my math teacher fired because she was super racist. But that's for another day. <laughs> so stay tuned, kids. Uh, hey, you know what we're going to do, Ike? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Let me know. In May, me, you, and Luke, the co-host, and Sarah Kroger with Dom out in Atlanta, we're going to do an XLT Oh, in May for young adults. Right. 
Dom just let me know about that. Yeah, and we're going to record a live episode of Catching Foxes. Oh, come on. After you lead worship and I'll do the talk. Hallelujah. So uh, it's going to be fun. So you will be back on the show. Perfect. And, so that you can tell us more about uh, what you were just saying. Perfect. Maybe I'll get into politics more then, and we can all, you, everyone can just stop hiring me for things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I have one person who I am very good Facebook friends who hires me for a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I am wondering, because she is absolutely pro Trump. <laughs> absolutely. And I don't, I, I on Facebook, I'll make a couple political stuff now and then. But I have, I have learned, Ron Paul in 2008 taught me the lesson not to be fanatical for a candidate or against a candidate. <laughs> I have decided, and people will write on my wall and they'll be like, let's do this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> delete, you know, or I will write something incendiary and then yeah. someone will write something challenging me and then they'll write, hey, what, come on, what are you saying? What do you, what, what, you don't have a reply and I won't reply. <laughs> because like face, Facebook is a broadcasting medium, and if you want to argue with me, uh, go become my mother because that's what she's for. Right? <laughs> so that's all I got. But uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Hey, okay. So let's. Uh, let's uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Um, several places. You can go to iTunes um, and get all of my music. You can go to Spotify. Um, you can go to my website, ikendolo.com. You can go to I Condola Music. Um, that's my Facebook page. Uh, I'm doing a little secret side project called Ike and the Crooked Souls. It has nothing to do with Christian or worship music. It's just me writing a bunch of old soul songs that um, mean a lot to me. So, and it's about heartbreak because I'm 30, 30, 30, 30, and not married. So I've I've uh, I've been through a lot of heartbreak. So there's a you know if you want to want to have a good cry and some wine. Go check out Ike and the Crooked Souls. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all the, the mediums. Ike and the Crooked Souls.com, Ike and Dolo.com, um, Ike and Dolo Music on Facebook. What about Ike Twitter? Dolo, Twitter, Ike and Dolo on Twitter. Um, you can follow me there. Ike and Dolo on Instagram, Ike and the Crooked Souls on Instagram, all Man. that stuff. Bam, I'm, like, all over them internets. Now, is there a way I can weave a song of yours in this? Could, mm. I, could I play? Do I have to get permission from the powers that be? No. If you play Crooked Souls, you have you don't need any permission cool. from any. Cool. We're gonna play that then. Also, I have it. I'll play it. Um, lastly, what do you think we should title this show? Besides, <sighs> besides the Legend of Icondolo, <laughs> as he as the magical Negro fades into the background. Uh, what should we label this show? <laughs> Maybe just that. Magical Negro. Don't do that. That would be... Well, you'll get some hits. <laughs> <laughs> Icondolo, Catching Foxes, Magical Negro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, I won't. I Don't won't. Uh, yeah. What should we label this show? We should label it... I don't know. I don't know. I'll come up with something. I'll come up with something. I'm a rambling man, I'm a restless soul, and I fear my heart with its gaping holes. I try to fill it up with the world's sweet milk, but it leaks right out, leaving dust and filth. 
Can you say, oh, say, oh, say this crooked soul? Yeah. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah, you got it. I was born so far from my daddy's place and my uncle cursed me down to my grave. There's a devil watching all the moves I'm making. I can Feel his breath with every step I take. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah. Oh. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah. In a muddy river. Wash my stains and the Holy Ghost all my life reclaim. Well, I can't help but wonder if I have been changed. Oh, am I dazzling white? Oh, am I still the same? Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Oh, can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Oh, yeah. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, oh. So I to God on his chapel floor. I'm a seasoned sinner. Can you make me more? Help me give my coat to the weak and poor so I can wash up naked on your golden shore. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah. Can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Yeah, oh, oh, oh. can you save, oh, save, oh, save this crooked soul? Woo, that was a... That was a hoot nanny if I've ever, I've ever heard of one. <laughs>